One of my most vivid elementary school memories is being in my second grade teacher's classroom and seeing a poster of Shirley Chisholm on the wall and deciding in that moment that I wanted to be president one day. You're listening to The Take Back Podcast, where women of color creatives come together to inspire, empower, and encourage each other. I'm Jess Pillay, an Indo-Fijian independent singer-songwriter. And I'm Angelica Dianda, a Mexican-American licensed mental health counselor and singer. And this is the podcast where we explore and elevate stories from women of color who are artists, musicians, actors, entrepreneurs, and so on, who are navigating and taking back systems designed against them. Welcome back to the Take Back Podcast. I'm Angelica Dianda, and I'm here with my co-host, Jess Pillay. We're two best friends from the Seattle area, and this podcast is where we talk about what it means to be women of color who are navigating creative pursuits. On today's episode, we're talking to Karita Dunkoff. Karita is a woman of many talents and aware of many hats. She's an author, a podcaster, community activist, and a blogger from Longview, Texas. She writes about race, faith and spirituality, identity, and their intersections. She spent a decade as a full-time high school English teacher before transitioning to a full-time career in writing and community activism. She's also a wife and a mother, and she says that she's passionate about her family, her faith, her Blackness, and her vocation. So something really cool about Karida is Jess and I connected with her a while back through a great community called Be The Bridge. Be The Bridge is a nonprofit organization that was founded by Latasha Morrison to help equip and empower people to have conversations around racial injustice and racial reconciliation. All right. So we are here with Karita Duncoff, and we are so excited to meet you and have this conversation. And thanks for being on our show today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're so excited to jump into your story. Um, It seems like we have a lot of things in common with you in terms of racial justice and creative work that we're all passionate about. So we're really excited to get to know you today and to hear a little bit about your story. So um, our first question is, when did you decide that you wanted to pursue creative work? That's a really good question. I'm going to define creative work in my own context as being my writing in particular. So I began blogging way back in college in probably about 02 or so. But the book that I recently got published, that particular creative work began in the summer of 2020 during that uprising following the very public deaths of um, Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. Mm -hmm. So within the last couple of years. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like a lot of a lot of really powerful content and work and art and creativity have have come out of that experience. So yeah. And you spent, you know, many years in education as high school English teachers. So tell us about what got you interested in pursuing that career path. And yeah, a little bit about your love for literature and writing and all of that. Okay, so my path to teaching is not a straight one. From the time I was a very young child, honestly, one of my most vivid elementary school memories is being in my second grade teacher's classroom 
and seeing a poster of Shirley Chisholm on the wall and deciding in that moment that I wanted to be president one day. Yeah. So I am the particular kind of stubborn (laughs) that I stuck with that plan that I hatched when I was seven all the way through high school. Every time I was at a juncture where there were um, considerations for me to make about what to do next academically, I made those decisions based on my desire to go into politics professionally. So like in middle or high school, I was on like a student advisory council with a mayor or a city councilman, girl, somebody. I went to a magnet high school that allowed me to study law my last two years and then do an internship as a senior. But it was actually during that internship, I interned at the name of the court building was Frank Crowley. And it was adjacent to Lou Starrett, which is a, a prison. Okay. And I'd be sitting in, in the office sometimes and you could hear like, I don't know, sometimes the prisoners would be like clanging on the bars or whatever. It was kind of jarring, but the, the attorneys there were awesome. I learned a lot there, but the specific office I interned with was a family domestic or family violence division. And I have this vivid memory of kind of having to babysit a toddler one day while his mom was on the stand and she recanted while she was up there, which is what victims do. I mean, what, what, I mean, yeah, no victim blaming here. Right. Um, But it was a moment for me that I began to realize that I could affect more change as a teacher than I would be able to in the courtroom Mm -hmm. Uh, because the only thing that got that kid to stop crying was for me to hold him and sing to him. You are my sunshine. Mm. That was all I could do. (laughs) That was all that would get him to stop crying. Now, mind you, I was a teenager at this point. I was not good with kids. So I may have been pulling from a limited bag of resources. But that was the the turning point moment for me where I changed from wanting to be an attorney and go down that track to eventually becoming an education major and becoming a teacher. Wow. What, What a powerful story just to hear that experience of just hearing that your pathway to where you're at now was not a linear path. You know, one of the things that I was reflecting with Jess about as we were getting ready to meet with you was just the impact that educators have on students that can lead them down to many different paths. And I know for a lot of students, there are moments when they're in the classroom where it's a moment of inspiration or an impactful moment that lead them down the pathway to wherever pursuits that they, you know, go after. But it's the same also for educators, And I'm curious, while you were teaching, were there any impactful moments that sparked or um, continued to fuel your interest to continue to pursue creative writing and activism outside of the classroom? That's a great question, too. So what comes to mind most immediately is I did a like a bulletin board that I got off the Teachers Pay Teachers one year. That was called Famous Failures. And it was all about different like celebrities. Now, mind you, some of them were celebrities to people in my demographic, but my students were like, who are you talking about now? What is an Oprah? (laughs) 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 They've never come home from school at four o'clock and turned on the TV and seen Oprah there. Like that's not an experience they can relate to, right? It's just not their context. But yeah, so I had this bulletin board called Famous Failures. And so I don't remember what all the activities were, but it was a learning moment for me to kind of click and see that some of the people that are most successful now, they weren't necessarily born with a silver spoon in their mouths. Some of them had to try and try and try again 
and even again and again, <laughs> in some cases before they quote made it. And even more recently, and I don't know that this was something that happened in the classroom, but even more recently, I came across Maya Angelou and Toni Morrison's, like the stories of when they published their first books. And those, like knowing that these two women in particular, who, who are really literary giants to me, some of my favorite writers, started publishing work when they were about the same age I am now, made me feel like I hadn't necessarily gone awry <laughs> if I wanted mm -hmm. to be a writer and that I could do it now and I didn't necessarily have to wait until, you know, that far off retirement dream that we all have. I, I love hearing that because that kind of gives for people that are either very early or haven't started their creative endeavors, hearing those stories of other women of color and seeing where they were on their journey. I don't know for... I mean, I'm speaking to myself, but that gives me hope like, man, I'm at the age I'm at and I'm not done yet, that I still have purpose as long as I've got a dream in my heart and the passion and the drive that I can still pursue that. Oh, what a great um, influence and story. I love it. And I think also a great reminder to our listeners, you know, we might have people out there who are thinking, well, I'm already in my 30s or 40s or 50s or, you know, whatever age that they are. And maybe it's too late for me to start. And, you know, the answer is it's never too late, right? Anybody can start a creative pursuit at whatever stage in their life. And I love that famous failures idea. I think that's so powerful and something we don't talk enough about, right? We live in this world where it's this constant conversation about people's successes. And you look at things like a LinkedIn profile and it's like everybody's always talking about the great things that they're doing. And, you know, social media envy is like a real thing these days because, People really curate the parts of their lives and their experiences that they want to put out there. And so to young people, especially who are navigating the world, I think it's so important for teachers and educators and just mentors in their lives to come around them and say, look at all these people who didn't necessarily make it on the first try or the second try or even the 10th try. And they still had the resilience to keep going and you know, I think that mindset is also so true for social justice work, right? Because we hit a lot of roadblocks and people who are constantly coming in with criticism about that kind of work. And so, you know, being able to get back up there and and keep going is so important. Um, so switching gears a little bit, can you tell us a little bit about just your creative process? You know, when you go into writing, when you went into writing your book, what does that process look like for you? What are some tips, tricks, you know, things that you do, rituals that you have that help you succeed in that? Okay, so I will tell you first one thing that I've heard a lot and have not myself done. I haven't implemented this as a, a routine successfully is write every day, like write something every day. Maybe if I had done that, I, I'd be on the bestseller list by now. <laughs> <laughs> I have not done that because writing still, even though I've like completed a book, I have all these ideas, it still takes a measure of vulnerability to take the words from your mind and put them onto the page. But I am pretty, I am pretty well a creature of habit. So I usually am sitting in this exact spot at my desk when I'm writing on this exact laptop with something to drink. I've actually got water and tea right now. <laughs> I usually will have a candle burning. Um, oftentimes I have music going because it helps me to focus. And those are all things that are part of my creative process. Um, something else though, is that I am a creative person just in general Mm -hmm. So if I'm feeling stuck, I tend to unstick by like going out in my very overgrown craft room and painting something or 
adding some stuff to a wreath or like in a couple of weeks, hopefully by the time this book, the second edition of this book is finished, we're going to have a pink flamingo porch out here. So (laughs) fun. I'm so like, I'm very into decorating and redecorating and, um, yeah, that's that's definitely my jam. And I find that those two different ways that I express myself creatively are definitely related to each other. Like if I'm not doing one, I'm probably not doing the other. Yeah, that's such a great point, too, because I think that one thing we are learning as we're talking to more creatives on this show and as we've been you know, going through our own creative journeys, a lot of times we're not sort of confined to one craft, right? So I'm a musician, but I play, you know, a couple different instruments and often find that, you know, as a guitar player, my piano playing helps me get guitar playing. So I, mm-hmm. I love that you bring that up of having kind of other creative outlets or other creative projects that you're working on and how all of those things sort of fuel what you're doing creatively with your writing. And so kind of a follow up question that I wanted to ask is now relating that more to the social justice work that you're doing. Do you see any similarities in the way that you approach your creative process to the way that you approach the social justice work that you're doing? I will say that one similarity between them is I, and I probably, it's an area of growth for me. I tend to be pretty all or nothing. Like I'm either going to do something with my whole heart and all my energy or I'm going to be passed out asleep and not paying attention to anything. <laughs> like that's just, that's with my writing. It's with these local organizations that I'm part of. That sweet spot of knowing how to, how to temper your enthusiasm and kind of stay in it for the long haul is something I'm, act, it's like a, a muscle I'm actively learning how to, how to build. But there's definitely a similarity in the way that I approach even creative things at home. Like if I get the idea that it's time to repaint the living room is probably going to be done within the month. Like we need to go be looking at color. We need to go find all the things. This rag doesn't go with that. And so start to finish, it's going to happen pretty quickly. You know, it's interesting. And I know that Jess and I could probably like speak to this personally, but being actively involved, not only in creative pursuits, but also in social justice pursuits, both can be quite emotionally and physically exhausting and draining, right? So one of the things as a mental health therapist, you know, some things that I encourage my clients to do is like, what are some ways that you're staying grounded? What are some ways that you're taking care of yourself so that you can show up fully and 100% as your authentic self? And so I'm curious to hear just like, what are some things that you do for yourself to stay grounded and to fully show up in the work that you do? So I have a couple of things that I do, and I will be honest and say that I don't do all the things. <laughs> like, I don't always stay hydrated. <laughs> I don't always stay hydrated. I definitely, you know, I don't be exercising like people with healthy life balances do. I am a big time napper. Like, I've been out of the classroom this year, and most days I can pretty well make my own schedule. I take a nap almost every day. Like, I just do. That's um, amazing. Something else that I did, though, was actually uh, not something I did actively as much as it's something I had to stop doing once I realized I was lying about it. Like a, Some of this book, y'all, was written with a glass of wine at my desk, and I definitely had to pull back on that. It got to a point where I was drinking more out of habit, and mm-hmm. like, like it just got to a point where I wasn't even thinking about it. It was mm-hmm. like, put the box of wine in with the weekly groceries you know, pour a glass after dinner. And I felt like that was probably okay. 
But then when I realized, like you get to your, your annual exam or you talk to your counselor and they're like, how many glasses of wine do you have in a week? And you tell them it's one to two a week, but you know, it's not one to two a week. <laughs> <laughs> like it was something that it's a little bit harder to not have something to kind of dull your senses, right? To dull kind of like all those extra emotions that you do yeah. tend to have when you do this kind of work all the time. And I'm a sensitive person anyway. I'm an Enneagram six. Hi. Hey. Um, <laughs> also, I am a Leo, which I, I don't know, I guess I have the heart of a lion, right? But I've always had, I've always been what Glennon Melton, um, sorry, Glennon Doyle now, what she calls the canary in the mind, mm-hmm. who can sense things before other people. Yeah. And it's, it can be hard to live like that. And that, that little evening glass of wine helped me to work through that for a while. But ultimately, it was um, not something healthy to do long term. And once I pulled back from it, I realized it was affecting my mood because I would be angry around the time I would normally have a drink. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of growly. And I was like, oh, so I definitely needed to pull back. And so I do think that it is taking better care of myself to distance myself from that habit I had begun to form rather than to continue it. No, I just like love your honesty, just like where you're at and finding those things that stay grounded. You know, one of the things that I'm a firm believer is like the things that we do for like self-care grounding, it's not going to be a final destination. It's going to be an evolving, changing process that's going to fit for where you're at in that season. And you may have all the best intentionality, but you know what? Some days... You may only have a muster up the energy of like, I'm going to get up today and have my one glass of water and that's what I can muster and that's okay, right? And also too, you know, it's so fascinating just hearing you kind of talk about um, just for the season that you were in and noticing the interaction that you were having around wine and how that was apart for a, a moment of grounding, but then you realizing, hey, this is not serving me anymore. And I mean, I'm assuming part of that process that you landed there was realizing, hey, I'm doing this because I got a lot of feels happening. So I want to just take a minute just to like disconnect. But interesting enough, like as creatives, like it's tapping into our emotions that actually like can lead us right to the creative endeavors. But it's also overwhelming, right? It's this this kind of like weird duality. And so it's finding this like balance of navigating those two. So like I said, I just really appreciate your honesty. It's like, I, th- I think that people, you know, maybe more people than who really want to care to admit. I was like, we all been there at some point or sometime, or maybe we're in that right now. Right. So tell us a little bit more about your recent creative project, which was your book. You wrote and you published a book. So tell us a little bit more about it. Okay. So my book um, is called Piece by Piece on Learning Racial Bias. And I started writing it in June of 2020. What had happened was, and this actually goes back to how I connected with YouTube. Um, so what happened was there was a group of people here in Longview who were upset by seeing Ahmaud Arbery's killing. Um, we did, a, a group of us did the walk and run with Ahmaud. There was a big, huge, overly crowded Facebook messenger chat. Um, but after that walk and run and after a couple of Black Lives Matter marches around the loop, there are people who were like, I feel like there's something else we should be doing. I suggested we start a Be the Bridge group. I was like, okay, let's do Be the Bridge. Well, and y'all, I've never actually done one. So y'all can tell me if I was misreading Miss Morrison's instructions. But as best I understood it, the group really needs to be balanced between people of color and people who are not people of color. 
We couldn't get it together. We could not get enough people of color to actually engage in that. Yep. And, um, and I wouldn't start without it. I was like, no, it's not, we're not going to overly burden the people of color in this group because all the white people want to feel better about their feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, so while we were trying to wait for a group to come together, I started the blog series as a weekly series to give people little bits of things they could do in the meantime. So you can kind of see my shirt says, listen, read, watch, and act. Ooh, love it. So each of my pieces would have no more than three resources that I would suggest for people to like podcasts to listen to, movies or documentaries to watch. Sometimes I'd put together a playlist and it would all be things for people to engage with bit by bit. Um, and then I'd also include reflective questions. And if all of what I've just described does not prove to you that I have been an English teacher for a good long time, then <laughs> because I definitely wrote this book like a teacher would write a book. Um, so I completed that about a year and a bit later. And as I was leaving my job, a a white friend of mine was also considering leaving hers. And when I started telling her about the book, she said, well, you know, I've always wanted to start a publishing company. And so Mm -hmm. she did. And we launched together. Now, you'll notice I did not use her name, the name of the publishing company, (laughs) (laughs) because we launched in. November, we launched uh, Black Friday and we are no longer together professionally or personally Um. because I wrote this entire book about unlearning racial bias. And fast forward to the end of January, she had um, commissioned comics from a local artist. And one of the first comics that that artist created for her was racially biased. (laughs) It showed a brown person who didn't use correct English and a white person pompously correcting the grammar. Uh, and when I pointed it out to her privately, as one does, come on, professional mm-hmm. hat. That's right? right. Come on, Enneagram six. Um, <laughs> so when I pointed it out to her privately, first, she didn't respond. And then when she did, she wouldn't call me like I asked her to. She texted it and said, the comic is staying up for now. And I was like, well, if you're going to leave it up and you're not even going to call me, I don't think we have anything to talk in person about, right? Like there's no conversation to have here. Right. So she left it up, left it up. And in the meantime, I'm like, okay, we want, we have this big ass party. We had so much community support. Like we packed out like our little small town bookstore. We packed it out. They'd never seen that many people in there. We probably had 80 people in there that night, sold out of our first run of books. And around Christmas time, we did. So we had like like all this support and success. And I was like, there are entirely too many eyes on me for me not to address this. Mm -hmm. Right. Like she's decided to leave it up. But if I don't say something, people aren't going to know that I reached out to her. Right. And so I published a takedown of it. Um, I said, this is what a microaggression is. Here is the comic this person posted. I don't know what their intention was, but this is what it looks like. And so I got into tropes, I got into stereotypes, I got into AAVE, I mean, you name it. It was like 16 slides, y'all. Again, English teacher. I I, I do verbose, right? I do words. And so all of that to say, the take back portion of this comes into play where now that we are legally separated, um, I do still have some of the first run of my books, but I'm actually in the process of laying out and self-publishing the second edition of it. So there will be an edition of the book that's published under my own publishing house, Matriarch, um, and that'll be coming out this summer. That is so exciting. And, you know, what's so interesting about hearing this story is that you entered into a partnership with a person that 
you felt professionally that you could, that you could create and partner with. But as many of us experience, I mean, this happens to a lot of women of color, that something shifts or changes where you realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, maybe this person is not quite there yet to understand or do their own learning about their own racial biases or the way that maybe that they're maybe perpetuating the problem. And how do we then go about that in a way that's healthy, but then, you know, a healthy, like now we're veering. And look at you are taking back your, I mean, how inspiring. Like you're starting your own publishing company, like you're self-publishing your book. I mean, how cool is that? But I know that part of that, like that, there's pain in that process. But I'm a believer that even in moments of pain, that something beautiful and something wonderful could come out of that. So I'm very hopeful for you. And that's really inspiring for our listeners and anybody out there who's hearing this that like you didn't just give up and say, okay, well, this didn't work out the way I wanted to, but you really pivoted and found another solution that didn't require you to compromise on your values and your identity and who you are. That's so powerful and such a great takeaway, I think, for the folks listening. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. So where can people find your book? Um, so the first run of my book is sold out on Amazon. Um, okay. But I do have like, I don't know, 30 odd copies here that are available for sale. I'll give you my link tree because I, I have like a little Squarespace site that you can order through. Um, and they're also available from a local bookstore, Books and Barrels, that will probably ship it to you if you call them. Okay, awesome. But I also um, want to be transparent about what it's looked like for me to have to do this myself. It's been trash. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say that like on Helica mentioned earlier, sometimes all you can do is get out of bed and get water that day. And that's it. There were a couple days where I did not even want to get out of bed. Like I got out to use the bathroom and that was probably it. I think my honey bun, my wonderful husband probably was bringing me all my meals in bed because I just didn't want to move. Yeah. It was awful. And it took me to that place where you question like, is anything true? Uh, what is life even like if this person is not the person I believed them to be then does that mean I was a poor judge of character or that they were a really convincing liar like what is happening here yeah um and because I had both a personal and professional relationship with this person it didn't just affect our business relationship Mm -hmm. I've lost a couple other friends over this too right we don't have the same big huge gatherings that we used to And like my kids, they don't interact with kids the same way they used to. Like we went to an event downtown and saw some kids from this mutual friend group and they were still kind of at a distance because, I mean, I've I've told my kids, like, if they're going to hang out with other kids, I need to know the parents. Mm -hmm. And if I know the parents and don't really trust their judgment, y'all ain't going to go over there because I don't feel safe about them. Right. Nope. (laughs) it's not happening I have two black boys are you kidding me so anyway all that to say I hope that my story can be inspiring to people but I don't want to paint the picture that it is all inspiration and glitter and no days of staying in bed no it's it's being in the trenches and I think that's something that I mean we all can speak and talk about our own personal experiences you're right there are some days that man, we might feel like badasses and we're feeling inspired and motivated, empowered. And then there's moments just like you described where like you could barely muster the energy to get out of bed and you do what you got to do. And there's moments in between that, but you're right. I said, and you know, all that to be said, we want everyone to know, like you are not alone. You're not alone. And that you've got this whole community of, you know, women 
all over the place that are there with you. And so that's my hope that people will be inspired and to hear your story and be like, okay, oh, okay, Karita's going through that. You know, she's walked through that. I'm walking through that. And it gives them that hope to put another foot in front of the other. Thank you for just sharing your story, raw and fully authentic. I just really appreciate you, Karita. Yeah, this is such a great conversation and just can't thank you enough for just your honesty and your authenticity. That's something that's really important to us in the stories that we share and tell on this show. Um, So we've got a couple more questions. We're going to move into our final segment. But before we do that, where can people find you on like social media, your website? Tell us a little bit about your own podcast that you have. Where can people listen to that? Yes. So my podcast is available, I think, on pretty much any platform. Um, It's called Something True, an Honest Podcast. And it really kind of explores the intersections of race, faith, and identity, um, kind of how those things kind of mold together with our experiences and shape who we are. Honestly, a pretty good sister podcast for take back. (laughs) Just saying, pretty pretty closely related. Uh, I am also on In These Internet Streets at Karita Dunkoff Author on Instagram and Facebook. Something True on Instagram and Facebook as well. Um, And my website is just karitaduncoff.com. Okay, wonderful. And we'll include all of that in our show notes as well so that our listeners can check all of that out. Um, So Angelica, why don't you move us into our final segment? All right. This is a favorite segment of mine. It's called the final five in five. So we ask five questions and the hope is that our guests can answer them in under five minutes. So no pressure, but I believe in myself. I think you could do it. All right. First question. What's currently inspiring your creativity? This could be either a book, podcast, a musician, a place. Um, Honestly, what's currently inspiring my creativity is my community. I took a page straight out of Issa Rae's book and dedicated my book to everybody Black. And I have been really humbled and really grateful for the people that my work has resonated with. And they're keeping me going. Love that. So good. All right. How would you define success? I would define success. What was my Angela's definition? It was like loving what you do and loving how you feel when Mm. you do it. Oh, that's so good. Okay. Something like that. It's a poor paraphrase, but something like that. (laughs) It works. It still resonates. Um, All right. What's one item that you absolutely cannot live without? Okay. I'm going to say eyebrow pencil and that might sound shallow. I'm not much of a makeup gal, but let me tell you, if these brows weren't on, y'all really couldn't read my facial. Okay. So we need to know, you got to tell us, give us the deets. What, what's the brand? What color are you using? How do you apply it? This is Ash Brown. And it is NYC. It's like the cheap and cheerful bottom shelf target stuff because it clicks up. You never have to sharpen it. It's a brush on one end and a pencil on the other. And it's perfectly angled. And it's like a, a like a shoop, 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 fill in. <laughs> love it. I love it. Well, you know what? That's Those are the best ones, right? It's like the ones where you're like, I don't have to do that much. I just got to click and just swipe, 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 and then done. Mm-hmm. I love it. That's it. <laughs> All right. So as an English teacher, what is your biggest grammar pet peeve? Oh, wow. My biggest one. Okay. I'll tell you the one I give my, my, my wonderful husband shit about sometimes because he also was an English major and also is English. So I hold him to a higher standard. (laughs) There you go. He will sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes he'll put the article A in front of a word that starts with a vowel. And I just look at him like, I don't know what he just said. That's fair. (laughs) 
This is not a <laughs> air conditioner, sir. It's an air conditioner. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's so great. All right. And then final question. What women of color business or brand would you recommend? I hope I don't have to do just one because I have several. I was thinking That's- about this one. That's okay. So, and you actually have some time to give us several because you're under five minutes. So, so this color I'm wearing is one of my go-to faves from Lip Bar, which is a Black-owned company. I also really like Crayon Case. They have a color called Gumbo that is my jam. I'm big into Cole Arthur Riley's Black Liturgies right now. Um, mm. I also have Andre Henry's new book on my bookshelf, All the White Friends I Couldn't Keep. Yeah. Oh. Um, and so... Brand-wise, product-wise, those are the things that come to mind most immediately. But they are, I hold them all very close to my heart because they yeah. feel so, so special. Love it. Oh, Look also, at- I have to say Candace Bimbo's book, Red Lip Theology, was the bomb.com. Okay. Yeah, I haven't read that one, but I've, I've seen it on a few lists, so I would love to check it out. So good well, to know. Yeah. Yeah, it's good shit. Thank you so much, Karita. It was wonderful to speak with you and get to know you. And we just love your heart and your your passion for social justice and creative work. And we're so delighted to have had you on the Take Back podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. So that was Karita Duncoff. We just loved chatting with her. She's such a gem. She was. We hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, please be sure to check us out on our website, which is thetakebackpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our Instagram, which is at thetakebackpodcast. And last but not least, if you are listening to this episode, first of all, thank you for sticking with us and being here. We would absolutely appreciate it if you would leave us a review on wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. So thanks for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next time. Want to be a creative revolutionary with us? Visit thetakebackpodcast.com to learn more.